Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we've got former Andy Kennedy staffer and Rippy Writes basketball correspondent Bracken Ray on for the first time in a while. And the reason he's not been on in quite a while is because uh, Ole Miss wasn't very good at basketball. And because Ole Miss isn't very good at basketball, there is now a coaching search. So perfect time to have Bracken Ray back on the show um, to talk through Ole Miss's coaching search as the Rebels fired Kermit Davis on Friday. Some candidates, the pros and cons of, you know, the Will Wades, the Chris Beards of the world, some other candidates as well. Think you'll enjoy the discussion. Uh, just for full disclosure, we recorded this on Sunday night. I'm sitting here dropping this podcast late on a Tuesday evening. Don't think a ton has changed with the coaching search since. Obviously, I would encourage you to subscribe to rebelgrove.com as Neil McCready posted an update today. It's absolutely the best place in the world to find updates on really anything on Miss Sports related, but they particularly nail coaching searches, and it's really not even close. But I say that saying it's not really dated at all, but just wanted to give you a heads up that we did chat about this on Sunday evening as we sit here late on a Tuesday. So anyway, think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, though, wanted to remind you, podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into wagering, you need to use Skybox. It's the only way to profit in the long run. They crushed it in NFL and college football this year. College basketball is their bread and butter as that their model absolutely murders it, particularly on totals um, in college basketball, hitting well over 65% on the year. You need to check them out. They have a picks package to fit your price range. All you got to do is go online to skyboxsportspicks.com. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go with the year-long all-access pass. You can do it one sport-centric. You can do all sports. Whatever it is, they're going to have something to fit your price range. Buy the package. Type in the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off, save you some cash, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before using Skybox. They'll send you daily picks in an email spreadsheet. color-coded by unit and you will be more equipped to profit than you were before you bought it. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me as well as discounted meats. That's Right now it's a three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, and he'll get you set up. Then go find all your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious sausage, seafood. I like the tri-tips. Filet burgers are always awesome. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's our man Bracken Rabe. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray. He is, he is here to tackle all angles of uh, Ole Miss's win over LSU last night. Um, no, that is not why we're here. <laughs> we're going to talk some coaching search. It's been a month or so. Um, you know, I've always joked in like the, you know, the, this iteration of the podcast, the Rivals and Revel Grove, you know, this is the third year you've been my basketball guy. And I don't think we've had a, the plan of doing the whole weekly show uh, in either year. And that's probably actually why we're partially why we're having this podcast today, because there wasn't much to talk about in the past. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, doing very well. How about yourself? Pretty good. Just uh, chugging a Red Bull at 5 p.m. because uh, after a big night out on the square uh, the night before, I'm just a gigantic has been, but pretty good. Busier times. I'm excited to talk, you know, about the basketball program. They haven't been really getting us much excuse to do so. 
um, you know, for the on-court standpoint. But now the Band-Aid is uh, off, the toothpaste is out of the tube, whatever you want to call it. Ole Miss made the decision on Friday to fire Kermit Davis after, what, I guess that'd be four, five seasons. Um, finishes with a losing record. The last two years really, really tapered off. Uh, let's just start here. Why do you think this happened when it did? Like, why Friday? Why with however many games they have left? Why do you think this happened when it did? You know, um, something I've been trying to wrap my mind around a little bit, and you going into this season, um, obviously, you know, keep the not roll over the contract. So this whole situation with the program has been something that I'm sure has been in Keith's head for, you know, give or take a year now. And then the, the, the milestone of um, this really turning the corner for Keith, I think, was probably the UNA game in non-conference. And so um, I I think that if you look at it this year, there's going to be a decent amount of P5 jobs open. Um, Some, some better than Ole Miss and some maybe not. Um, A lot of the jobs that I think that are going to be better than Ole Miss that are open um, are kind of high academic prowess jobs that I, I don't think Ole Miss would even have, you know, similar candidate pools for, but I think that Keith did this to go ahead and get ahead of the curve and, you know, get the name out there because in two or three weeks, there's going to be a decent amount of P5, P6 jobs open. But right now, there's not a ton. So I think, you know, he he went in and said, hey, we're going to do this. Um, I don't have any football things to worry about. You know, we got a defensive coordinator. We hired a running backs coach. I can spend the next three weeks of my life fully ingrained on – hiring, you know, the most successful basketball coach possible. Um, So I think that's kind of why he did it. Um, I I was not expecting that to happen two weeks before the SEC tournament. I definitely thought that maybe there was going to be some conversations um, a little bit later uh, to let, you know, Kermit know that they were going to move in a different direction. But here we are. I think that's a one well said too. I I, I figured that was probably the case because there is, you know, when, when they started really kind of going off the, the deep end or going downhill or whatever phrase you want to use when conference play started, they get off to the really rough start. You know, you had a lot of fans, particularly a lot of our message board posters wondering like, why don't you just go ahead and do it now? And at the time there really wasn't much of an advantage to it. And I always thought like, I guess if you ever did it before the end of the season, giving yourself maybe like a two week to 10 day head start, as you just said, to generate buzz is probably advantageous to some degree, but clearly having the gig open and having an interim coach for, you know, the last month of the season, it just really wouldn't accomplish much. Um, And honestly, you know, Kermit's a nice man. He's handled his business the right way, right? Just let him ride it out for as long as you can. And then they just kind of uh, arrived at this decision, I guess, to do it now. And so now a search begins. Before we want to get to that part of it, I'm curious about like the Kermit Davis tenure. It's one of the more fascinating ones, both in how it started and who we replaced and just how drastically it fell off. So he, if you look at it in its totality, he finishes 74 and 75, 79 with a 32 and 55 mark in conference play. He won 20 games in his first year, his only 20 win season. Obviously, they finished 10 and 8. They go to the NCAA tournament. He's SEC coach of the year. And you're thinking, oh, buddy, he's, gonna, he's off and rolling because he's recruiting well at the time. And then it really, really tapers off the next year. They have Brian. They have Schuler no TD. And that team, I'd say, got off to a bad start in conference play and just could never really recover. I would call that an underachieving team. 
Then his third year, they're kind of in the mix for an NCAA tournament berth in that weird like post-COVID year, but it wasn't a ton, uh, ton of fun to watch. And then you have the disaster that were the last two seasons. Why do you yeah. think it went wrong? When you look at this picture in its full scope, as I just tried to outline as best I could generally, what's, like, is there one thing you place your finger on or one thing, common thread that comes back to you as to why this went wrong? Uh, you know, I think that, um, I mean, I think that there's a few things. Um, we look at it, we've talked about it a lot. The, the two that really stick out to me is um, the offensive side of the court from a set action, freeing up his guys, getting guys into the best action to getting clean looks. That's one, right? We talked a, a lot um, on this podcast about kind of a stagnant um, dribble handoff continuation that they ran a lot and, the offense did not look like it adapted over time to 2023 um, like maybe it should have. Honestly, even as, you know, whatever you rattled off there, 30 and 50 or whatever the case may be in the SEC, defense was pretty good for the most part um, in his yeah. tenure. And, you know, it's a really interesting kind of study to look at because if you look at football when they hired Lane, everybody was on board for it. And everybody kind of had a feeling it was it was going to work. And work just meaning, hey, you know, the seven, eight, nine wins game type deal. And with Kermit, um, it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't as drastic um, from a, hey, this is going to work. But I feel like if you had looked at the average fan, you're like, hey, how do we how would you rank this higher? The average fan at the time probably would have said like around the B. Uh, a B being a letter grade. And so it was um, a perfectly logical hire that made sense. That was easy to sell. Like it wasn't a home run, but I think everyone was like, they did this the right way and they got a good coach. It was the general sentiment. I seemingly kind of remember. So that's right. That's right. Mississippi guy, SEC assistant for a long time. Um, and it, if you're going to hire a mid-major coach, he has to have really good recent success. And I think the uh, he went to the NIT the year almost hired him. But the previous two years before that, I think he went to NCAA tournaments. And so he had had that previous success, fairly connected in the state. And so, um, you know, going back, they're looking at it. Hey, you've got the offensive evolution that really just never happened. And then uh, the player eval piece, too. And so the player eval piece has become um, it's kind of confusing because there's not enough players to get it done. But we now see all these stats of former players going to get it done. And yep. I think that kind of runs hand in hand with, okay, you didn't recruit well enough, but some of the guys that were talented offensively, they didn't have the right stuff to get those guys going. They didn't have the right sets. They, they weren't, um, you know, a phrase a lot of coaches use is making sure players can get to their spot. What is their spot? For some people, maybe that's mid-range. Um, for Romello White, it was back to the basket. He probably wasn't utilized as, not, as much as he could have been. So there was a – I think those two things, if you're just taking a step back of the past half decade of Ole Miss basketball, it's, it's the offensive uh, evolution or lack thereof and then the player evaluations. That is why this tenure came to the end. And then, you know, a, a third piece that I will say um, that I think was interesting to look at and it's going to be very important for this next search is the staff makeup. Um, if you look at the makeup of the assistants, you go for the first time in my lifetime, I believe you go and steal a P five sitting P five assistant from another school being Levi Watkins. Great hire. 
He's doing great things. NC State steals him. Jarkel goes with him. You know, they're pretty pretty good team right now. He's going to get contract extensions, all that stuff. So you got you got one really good spot there, but the other two spots were both filled with um you know, mid-major guys, and if you look at their pedigree of who they brought in from the recruiting standpoint, it's probably not enough for five years at Ole Miss. So um, that's that's kind of the third component that I think is super important is at a school like Ole Miss, you've got to have at least two and probably three assistants that can go consistently get P5 job or P5 players and also, in my opinion, have cut their teeth before at a P5 job and have recruited P5 players in the past as well, because it's a huge transition um, from mid-major to high-major from an eval standpoint, um, recruiting-wise. You mentioned a couple of interesting aspects of there, and I want to start with the roster, or excuse me, talent evaluation side of it. I've seen this talked about a lot. Hell, I even wrote about it in a newsletter that I did centered around basketball about a month ago. And you know, the what gets talked about is Austin Crowley having a good career or good finish to his career and on a very good Southern Miss team, it's Jarkel Joyner, it's Blake Henson doing good things or playing well at Pitt. But it's also, and look, all that's fine. Like, I think you're exactly right. I think that probably underscores kind of the lack of offensive evolution and not really getting a lot out of some guys who proved to be capable elsewhere because you didn't evolve. But it was also kind of the filling around those guys, too, in the recruiting classes, right? Like, it's not really ever getting anything. Like, it's, it's the Carlos Curry's, the Franco Miller's, the Sean Robinsons, yep. guys that were, you know, in most cases in the, in that group I just named, thought to be kind of core pieces of a class, and they just never really did anything. And you kind of saw that with the portal as well. Like, Breakfield yep. just kind of is what he is as a player. I mean, they really hyped up Robert Allen, and, you know, he's barely getting on the floor. It's It's the... It's not just the fact that guys that are talented are going elsewhere and having good careers there just wasn't a lot of depth to his classes either. I don't know if you saw that the same way, but like I just went through it earlier today and I was like, damn, I remember a lot of these names and I don't remember a whole lot of what, about what they did when they put on the uniform. No, no doubt. No doubt. And I think, I think one point that you made that's interesting is the, Hey, this not only happened on the high school front, but also the transfer piece. 100%. Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of kind of mediocre programs that may be better at one than the others. And if you're really good at one, you know, they can kind of even each other out. Um, you missed on both, right? You, you missed on the high school guys. You missed on the transfers. Um, but, you know, the, the crazy part is they actually won um, a decent amount of P5 head-to-head battles. Meaning they they got some dudes like they got some top one hundred guys. Um, it, it just wasn't enough. And to your point too, like there's just so many misses. You can't. And I, I guess you can now in the transfer portal day if you if you're really intentional about it. But turning half your roster over from a negative standpoint every year, it, it's going to really bite you long term. And and that's what we've seen over the past five years. And you saw an uptick with it at toward the end of uh, Andy Kennedy's tenure a little bit when things started going bad. It's just kind of hard to battle that attrition from a year-in, year-out perspective. As we look at this surge, you mentioned the P5 experience when you were talking about Kermit building out a staff. And this has been yeah. talked about a lot, and we'll get into some candidates in just a second. 
But from someone that's worked inside of it, what is the importance of having P5 experience? And like you said, cutting your teeth as an assistant at the P5 level, even if he's a mid-major head coach. Like what specifically do you mean by that? What kind of experience is gained and why is that important quality in a coach? How is it different than working at a group of five? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's two aspects to it, right? It's going and recruiting against um, blue bloods and other P five programs. That's super critical. It's it's getting reps, right? Just like anything, working out at work, whatever the case may be. That those reps and experience help you grow. Um, the other piece of it too that's that's really interesting is if you were to do a study um on however many coaching candidates you're going to bring up today six eight whatever the case may be how many quad one two three and four not wins and losses but games have each of these coaches coached in just like players going into Rupp arena and it being you know this crazy atmosphere and this huge home court advantage for kentucky there's a semblance for coaches as well of being able to coach in those big games um, coaching against other super bright minds, being high major coaches, and then, you know, being able to coach against high major players and bring them in yourself. So, you know, for, for this, um, for this job, I think the group of candidates, a lot of them are either P5 coaches and, um, mid major coaches that have P5 assistant experience. But I do think there's a lot to gain from this group of candidates that have that specific P5 head coaching experience and have battle wounds, so to speak, from it. When you look at the candidates for this job, the two names that stick out are, well, the main two that fans are talking about are Chris Beard and Will Wade. They're both damaged goods to some degree. I think that's a very like broad way to put it in very different ways, right? Like from a Will Wade standpoint, <laughs> what he did now is, you know, more or less like kind of allowed, like it's really kind of a free for all. It's a different world than when he got in trouble, which is crazy because it only happened a couple years ago. And then of course, Chris Beard is a different situation in its own right, because it's a legal matter. It is a hot button issue. And it's more of a morality thing, oddly enough, than like the Will Wade piece of it. And those are the two names that fans gravitate to. And that's two obvious ones where you're Ole Miss, you're at the bottom of the league, you know, you would never be able to get guys of that stature in another scenario. Like it's probably your best chance to hire each of those two. I guess we'll start with Wade. From that standpoint, don't you think that's a little bit of an easier sell? I think he would probably take the job. What are your reservations? Like what are the obvious reservations when you kind of look into hiring Will Wade in your mind? Look, look, I think the Will Wade thing is, it's very simple. I think it is, you need to go figure out and do some background searching if you're Keith on what this NCAA stuff looks like. Um, and if you're comfortable with it, I, I think it's one that you get kind of serious and make some calls about. Um, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, he's very interested in the job. And I, I just think, you know, from Will, if you look at, if you look at Will from a media standpoint, it's very easy to see that, he's kind of almost got a little Marshall in him, uh, Marshall Henderson. Like yeah. he was LSU's asshole, but he got shit done, right? The thing that is interesting about Will, though, is from an off-the-court standpoint, so, hey, just like you said, NIL is this thing now. Um, it's legal to pay players. Off the court, Will Wade, if you talk to other coaches, is probably about as big of a liability off the court as Kermit is, which is, means very little. 
Right. He's not one as an AD that you're going to have to lose sleep over. You know, he's he's not. I, I I've heard he doesn't drink. Like he's he's a pretty um, he's very strictly basketball. And so, but the big thing is, you know, if, if you're Keith and it's going to be a show calls, you gotta you gotta move on. You gotta go find that answer though. Um, I, I think it's an interesting one. Will um, obviously can get players. Is he um, a top 10 coach X's and O's wise in the country? No, he's not. But one thing I will say is I watched them play a lot when he was at LSU and he may not out coach a ton, but he doesn't get out coached a lot either. Um, yeah. So I think it's kind of, I think it's kind of net net neutral there. Um, and he, he can bring together uh, really good staffs as well. If you go look at his time at LSU, he had really good staff, some guys that had um, head coaching experience on his staff, some guys that had P5 experience like we've talked about. So, you know, I think that he's one that if you're a Keith, you just go ahead and do the background check. They say that, you know, there's a lot of talk that you see out there on Twitter or whatever the case may be, that it's going to be the summer before the hearing. A lot of this stuff and like Bruce Pearl back in the day, there are ways to you know, find that result out quicker. Um, and so if you can do that, you do, and you make the decision from there. And if you know the result's not going to come in until June or July, you got it. It's next man up. That's what I was going to ask is like, what do you think the likelihood is that you actually kind of find the answer to what you're talking about? The answer to your question that would allow you to hire Will Wade? Because as Ole Miss fans are well-versed in, the NCA is a complete circus. It's an absolute kangaroo court. So it's one of those things where you maybe could hear one thing. I mean, how many different types of punishments did we hear in Ole Miss's case alone over that five-year saga with all those twists and turns? So like when you try to find that out, what do you think the likelihood of actually being able to find out an answer that you can rely on enough to hire a guy like that without actually knowing the punishment set in stone? Is it just a matter of when the punishment comes out, or do you think there's any chance – that they would hire him without it being, let's say, publicly known or publicly announced and just based on what they believe it to be? Do you think that answer is well, concrete? I, How hard I, do you think it is to find out? I think it's the latter. Like, I don't think uh, – I think if Will Wade was hired, let's say, sometime between middle March and the Final Four, I think there's a very small chance that his um, case, you know, determination is going to be public. A right. very, very, very small chance. So, but there are ways to kind of back channel and, and and get a feel and get an answer before June. Now, does that mean March fifteenth, or does that mean May thirtieth? Those are huge differences um, when you're looking at, you know, how you're running your coaching search. You know, can you find out that today? Can you find that out the end of May? Huge differences. And so, you know, if it's if it's the former and it's, you know, you could find that out this week, you've got to go make those calls and figure it out. Um, but if it's if it's the latter, it's it's kind of next man up and you got to move on. The other candidate, of course, is Chris Beard. That's kind of draw, drawing a lot of the attention. And it's it's a much more complicated issue because we've talked about this kind of in the weeks leading up to it as we kind of followed the story. You know, all charges are dropped. But as you've seen in the news this week, um, in a very different situation, Alabama, just because you're not criminally charged with something does not uh, absolve you from any sort of clean record or from an optic standpoint, um, that really does not wipe the slate clean at all. And with Chris Beard, I think it's a lot trickier because, you know, he put his hands on a woman and that's, 
you know, something that, you know, at your current, at any position ever in any job ever, that's really a non-starter. And like, it's not surprising that Texas fired him from, you're looking at it from that standpoint. Now that the legal process is behind them, like, how would you view looking into Will Wade, excuse me, into Chris Beard? Is it just as simple as, you know, doing the proverbial due diligence is ever, is the term that everyone likes to use and just like, Trying to figure out, is this going to happen again? I think there would probably be a worry that if there are photos, if those become public, like when you're, if you were the AD looking into Chris Beard, what were you kind of looking at? What do you think Keith is going to look at if he looks at candidate at all? What's kind of the hangups there in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, um, you know, it's one that probably makes you a little bit more nervous off the court. Um, and for Keith, it's a, it's a tough deal. I don't know how, I don't know how you handle it. And you, I don't know how you really figure out what happened that night. If what you think or what is out there happened, you know, that's a, it's a tough one to, it's a tough one to wrap your head around. So, you know, um, I'm not really sure where they're kind of sitting with that situation. Um, it's a tough one. It's one that we have not seen a whole lot from a coaching right. um, candidacy standpoint. So, yeah, that's a that's a tough deal. And, you know, um, I do think, you know, Chris is off the court. Would That would be something that – may that may give give them some hesitation unless there's some stuff that they don't know about from that night um so that's definitely something Keith will have to think through pretty long and hard um is Beard a great coach X's and O's and recruiter yeah he's he's top five in the he's top five in the country um when it comes to you know overall coach so um yeah not not sure how they've got um how you kind of wrap your mind, how you go about the, the, like you said, the will thing is a lot, it's a lot more simple. It's kind of a, Hey, it's black and white is either is this thing or it's not. And you either hear it by this date or you don't, but with the beard situation, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And on that part, when you're doing the due diligence, look, I mean, it, it probably shouldn't be this way, but just the way we are as humans and human nature and really just as like a society, the photo aspect of it, I think, is something you'd have to figure out. Like, you, like in my mind, you'd have to figure out everything that happened that night or the best version of what you believe that happened that night. And you'd also have to do a whole hell of a lot of due diligence in terms of if we do this, is there anything else that's, like, not known right now that's going to come out about that situation? It's not just the fact that he's doing yeah. it. Like, would you do it again? You need to make damn sure that all of the information – is out there and there's not something that is going to surprise you after the fact, if that makes sense. And on that point, one thing that's really interesting is there, that the element of the unknown, what you're talking about, there's, um, and I'm not comparing the two situations because they're completely different in kind of severity, but it's kind of like you a little bit. Yes. Like how much else did other people have that could have been released that now it's like, oh shit, you know? So that's, yes. that, that's the piece to it as well is, you know, what else is out there um, that, that you don't know about from not just that night, but if those mistakes were made that night, is there other things that, you know, are, are, are there other things that are a concern for the future as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's kind of something like, remember the uh, 
Remember the um oh god, what's the guy's name? Uh, Greg Marshall at Wichita State. Like the initial yep. story comes out, and then all of a sudden you start hearing from other players and other instances of it happening. Yep. It just eventually snowballed out of control, right? It's like the initial thing happened, and then all of a sudden it snowballed as other kind of pieces of evidence or other anecdotes or other stories and all that came out. And I think that's every bit as much of a concern with the Chris Beard thing is a, a beyond a beyond just worrying if it will happen again. In your mind, though, someone's going to eventually hire him, right? He has not coached his last high major college basketball game. And I know that's kind of a weird way to look at it. But look, if if if, if someone, God forbid, someone else in the league hires him and he starts winning and you kind of go the mid-major yeah. out and the next guy doesn't work out, you're really looking back at it and it's like, wow, we allowed this guy go, you know, even if it's an ACC school, if you just allow him to go somewhere else and he wins, you're going to feel like you missed an opportunity. So I, I guess that is my question. Yeah. He's getting hired no, that's, eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, the you know, the thought that I think some P5 and also some mid-major ADs will have as well. Here's one thing interesting, though, and this this is out so we can talk about it. There are reports that um, Beard has been offered a, maybe like in football terms, an analyst uh, type role with West Virginia. In my head, the first thought in my head on that is head coach in waiting when Hugs resigns, or excuse me, retires. Interesting. And you talk That's about the way, way I to package that. that hiring, the more that creates more distance in between the time that it happens. And look, the news cycle moves quick. People tend to forget things. Time, in some ways, kind of makes a story maybe not as uh, hot button or as severe as we remember it, just the more time that passes. That's just kind of how these things work. That you talk about from that standpoint, that's very fascinating because like say that happens, he's head coach and waiting and it happens in three years. That's a hell of a lot easier way to kind of usher that era in than a situation like Ole Miss where you'd have to hire him immediately. Yep. Yep. So when I, when I read that, that was the first thing that popped in, in my mind and I'm I'm not sure Huggins has three years left. I mean, he's maybe right. closer to one to two. So, um, you know, it kind of would keep him out of the light a little bit. That may be a play that West Virginia is trying to do. So, um, I, but to, to answer your question, I think um, the longest, if he wanted to be a head coach, the longest away he'd have to wait is is a year from what you kind of hear from people. But that doesn't necessarily mean at the P5 level. Absolutely. From a Beard Wade standpoint, they're in terms of just experience, uh, sitting at, I mean, uh, former P5 head coaches, do you view one as, like, just from a strictly a basketball standpoint now, everything else aside, do you view one as demonstrably better than the other? Like, like how do you kind of see that? Or do you see them as kind of 1A and 1B, and they're both pretty similar in terms of their strength? Like, do you view one as a demonstrably better basketball coach than the other, or is it kind of similar in your mind? No. Um, like, I think X's and O's wise, you know, Wade is a solid – he's a solid coach and great recruiter and brings in great staff. Beard is the better X's and O's coach of the two. And and I think I've, I've mentioned this when he got hired, when you were not, you and I were talking on the on the pod. His first year at Texas, he may have had the best staff in the country. Um, so he, you know, he puts together really good staffs as well. So he gets the he gets the edge on the X's and O's piece, and um, he also gets the edge on the putting the staff together piece. In my mind, I, I think will I think will worst case scenario would have Ole Miss in the tournament year two. When you look at kind of who's being mentioned for this job, who's kind of on people's hot boards. 
The other group of candidates is largely kind of group of five guys. Like there's a couple other power five guys there that I guess we can hit real quick. I know like Steve Forbes has kind of been mentioned. Um, that yeah. was one that they considered, I believe, all the way back in 19 when they hired Kermit or 18, whenever that was. Um, Chris Holtman's another one. What would you make of Holtman? Yeah. Like what like Ohio State's not yeah. after one bad year, right? That would be him kind of pushing the reset button, which is really kind of a golden ticket in coaching. You've either fired, about to be fired or um, soon to be fired. That's kind of the world in which they exist. Do you think he would potentially take a job like this to kind of push reset after a down year at Ohio State? And what do you think of him as a basketball coach? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, I think it's it's a really interesting deal because Ohio State, um, I think his buyout's like 18 to $20 million to fire him. He also has a buyout of like two to three million for somebody to take him away from Ohio State. My gut tells me that the way it would work if if Ole Miss wanted Holtman is that um, Ohio State may or may not, you know, his seat may be hot enough to fire. It may not. Who knows? But I think Ohio State would drop the buyout to zero dollars um, if they could let. Holtman walk there was some reports today that he said hey you know I'll be back next year and I love it here blah 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 we know that that's not worth a whole lot um it's a really interesting thing though because if you look at it Holtman compared to you know the three or four kind of mid-major coaches out there well these mid-major coaches most of them are going to end up with you know 20 to 25 wins regular season um they're all in one bid league. So um, unless they kind of bottom out, they may have an auto qualifier. They may have to win their tournament, whatever the case may be, but there's some momentum and excitement of, Hey, we're building it. We're on the, we're on the up with the roller coaster, right? With Holtman seven for seven in NCAA tournaments at Butler and Ohio state. Before that, he was a head coach at a smaller school. I can't remember what it was called. Gardner-Webb. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, Gardner Webb. So he, so he's got what, however many years of head coaching experience that is. Um, believe it or not, this year he has the sixth best ranked class in the country. Last year was eight. I think there are some fans that are like, "Hey, could we go higher? You know, what would it look like hiring the guy that Ohio State may not want?" Um, and I get that, but man, seven out of seven, you know regardless unless you're at a at a blue blood is pretty good this year is obviously going to make it seven out of eight they're not very good this year um but i think he's done a, a, a really good job um or he did a really good job at butler ohio state um gone to the tournament i think gone to the sweet 16 once they view themselves as a blue blood yeah and in my opinion they're not quite that they've actually gone to they're like top 10 in the country in final four. So it's, I mean, it's a very impressive, you know, job and program, but they're not, you're not quite the, Hey, you got to go to the sweet 16 every year type program. In my opinion, Um, I think he's one that um, I think he should be on the short list though. Uh, He's got those battle scars at the P five level. He's coached some big time players. He's coached against big time players. He's coached, um, you know, against, some big time coaches, so on and so forth. And then the last piece is it's kind of hard to evaluate how it would translate to Ole Miss, but I guess you could say that for all candidates. Two back to back top 10 recruiting classes in the country. That's very impressive, um, you know, regardless of where you are. And so 
Um, he he's known to have pretty decent staffs as well, and can, is connected enough to pull P five guys. Has some family in the Mississippi area, so I, I think it could make some sense. And you know, as fans, you got to look at the bigger picture from him of his body of work over the past eight years, rather than just one year. It's really easy to get emotionally attached to what's the most present. Um, but he's one that I would definitely have on my short list. What are your thoughts on Steve Forbes? Yeah, so Forbes is at um, Wake Forest. And, you know, for Wake, well, let, let's back up here, actually. So in my mind, um, when we the, – the job was open in 2018, 2019, my – the top three in this order for me was going to be Musselman, Forbes, and then Kermit. Um, I – there's a lot of kind of conflicting talk, depends on what you hear, about Musselman, would he take the job or not? It's my opinion that Musselman actually would have looked pretty seriously into Ole Miss if they were going to have to get to that $3 million range in salary. And I'm not sure they were comfortable doing that, you know, year one. Uh, For a coach, I think that, you know, Kermit ended at at, at three, but it was because of going to the tournament in year one. So he kind of proved it that first year, so to speak, to get the new contract. So you have Musselman. um, And then Forbes is number two for me. And, he did an awesome job at East Tennessee. He was a rising star. He's got some uh, a ton of JUCO connections, was Bruce Pearl's guy at Tennessee for a little bit. They kind of had a falling out with NCAA stuff. But, you know, Forbes is one um, that he's he brings together. I, I think he would bring his whole staff to Ole Miss if he um, got the job and try to steal one more P5 assistant would be my guess. But he's got a guy on his staff named Jason Shea that is a X's and O's guru. And so he's been smart. And what he did is he put his X's and O's guy on a support staff role. And then he hired the three best recruiters that he could to be his assistants. And then Forbes has a decent amount of head coaching experience. So he's a, you know, he's a decent X's and O's guy as well. Um, I would be comfortable with hiring Steve Forbes. I think that one's a little complicated because if you're Steve and you can get to the tournament this year next, he could get a pretty good job, um, you know, here in a year or two. Ole Miss would be a very lateral move right now. Um, but he has always been known to want to be an SEC coach. So the the probability of getting him, I think it's it's a little complicated. But if he's willing to talk, I think he take that call as well. Then there's Dusty May, who's the mid-major kind of guy in the mix here. Um, I don't think that would be one that would be, um, I would say, get people very fired up, but that is a name that yeah. I think is definitely in the mix for this job for a number of reasons, right? He's a longtime assistant of Mike White. Mike White and Keith Carter are friends. Um, he goes to Florida Atlantic. He's done a hell of a job there. Ironically enough, Ole Miss actually beat them uh, this year by a lot, but they're having a good year. From that standpoint, this kind of gets in the conversation we talked about earlier that's the one that I think would probably frustrate people from a sheer basketball standpoint because it feels like you're going down the same path that didn't work out next uh, last time. And if you're a job like Ole Miss, like you said, it's all about putting a staff together, guys that can go get yeah. players. That's kind of the one where you don't – like there's not as much of a proof of concept there. What's kind of your read on Dusty May and his fit at Ole Miss? Uh, I think you nailed it on the head. He would have to – come to Keith Carter and say, here are the three dudes I'm bringing with me. And they would have to really impress Keith. If I'm, if I'm Keith, at least 
for me to make that higher. Now, you know, it, it, there's some things that are interesting about it, right? You can sell Dusty to the fan base a little bit if he makes the tournament and goes and wins a game or two. Now he's kind of, okay, now you got Ole Miss people that may be rooting for him. I think that um, we've, you know, now we're not going to we'll put off the court risk aside, right? On the court, I think he may be the riskiest hire of them all because, like you said, it's doing the same thing that we've previously done. Kermit had 30 years of head coaching experience beforehand, um, had also been an SEC assistant at LSU under John Brady, you know, five-time coach of the year, two or three NCAA tournament appearances, the whole deal. So, you know, hiring somebody that is the background coming from Conference USA but less experience, it's going to be very hard. Um, It's going to be very hard to do that. So, for me, um, would Dusty be at the top of my list? He would not be. Um, And for me to be sold on him as an AD, as a fan, whatever the case may be, I'm talking top 15 assistant staff in the country for me to, you know, really get on board with that. And all of the names we mentioned, it becomes like everything, all all these factors we consider are not totally irrelevant, but it becomes very much more moot without accompanying NIL and money being poured into the basketball program to go get players. It's always a place that's been hard to recruit to, you know, some of that was the building. Now they've got a nice new arena. That's a, you know, I guess still new to uh, on a general sense, But without NIL and without kind of some more support, a lot of this becomes moot, right? There's going to have to be an increased buy-in from a sheer resources standpoint to go get players. And what's interesting is I think back to the Lane Kiffin hire in 2019 or whenever that was for Ole Miss. And Keith Carter said we needed to make a splash. I think that was actually in the title of the column I wrote at Super Talk way back when the day it happened. People were fired the hell up. The program needed an injection of life. Do you view this hire as like, I'm trying to think of the right way to word this. Do you think they need to make a splash in that sense to get people invested and get people getting and kind of getting that NIL up? Um, Because that was kind of the way it was with Kiffin to a differing degree. He didn't really have the NIL piece of it in the mix yet, but they needed a splash. They needed it in fan investment. They needed season tickets to go up. They needed to get people excited. Do you view this in the similar light to where you need to go make a larger splash to go kind of get people invested in the program and, uh, you know, NIL being at the center of that? I I 100% do. you got to get it. it, This is four years of, you know, in the 2020 um, Romello Schuler year was a little bit of an exception because you were on the bubble that year, but it's four years of just not a whole lot for Ole Miss basketball and not a whole lot of excitement. I, um, I think you got to hire somebody that can excite the fan base. And some of those hires, I think are the day they are hired, just their brand and their past experience would. There's probably some other hires where they would have to go out and do that on their own. But for me, and I know this is kind of, I mean, it's pretty aggressive. I think if you are a coach and you come and get this Ole Miss job, you're going to have about three P5 players left on the roster and it's all said and done. If you have um, LSU, South Carolina, Ole Miss here, year one, I'm not saying you're you're done all the way by year two. Not done as in fire by year two, but like – I think that if that happens year one, the fan base is going to be so detached from the basketball program that it's not going to give you a shot in year two and year three. NIL is going to be down. Attendance is going to be down. 
program support's going to be down. So I think it's super important to, A, go hire somebody that, you know, can excite the fan base, but B, at least kind of like, at least get to the NIT in year one. If you kind of, if you get to the NIT in year one, okay, that's going to build for year two. Now we've seen this big uplift going from whatever it is, three wins now in the SEC to what that would probably be eight and 10 next year. I think that's enough to really get the fan base back going. Um, And so from exciting the fan base, I think it's two pieces. It's kind of the branding and personality of the coach, but also I think year one's crucial. And it's tough. Back in the day, you used to get four or five years. Right. um, That's just not the world we live in anymore. It's not the world we live in. So year year one, it's it's crazy to make it sound like that's judgment day. But that first year is so important because of what's happened the previous four years. And that's what makes this hire so important. That's what, you know, you and I have talked about a decent bit, just kind of texting back and forth is this feels like one of the more, if not the most consequential hire in the history of Ole Miss basketball. And the reason I say that is like you, you part ways with Andy Kennedy, a guy who did a lot with a little for the large, for most of the time he was at Ole Miss. And then you build this new arena. And like, if you go down this, look, you could hire a, a power five guy, I guess that doesn't work out. But my point being is like, if you kind of repeat the same process again, you know, particularly with the mid-major guy and it doesn't work out, you're now going to go, I mean, you're sitting there looking up and like, man, we've had this building to close to what, like a decade, seven, eight, nine years by yep. um, 2025 and just nothing right. really to show for it. It's just a lot of empty seats. And, and, and to that point too, one thing that I've told people is, okay, the next hot, the next cycle, let's say it's the uh, whoever the next person is comes in, does eh, okay job, whatever gets fired after year five. Now your sexy arena at year 12, year 13, that's not a huge selling point anymore. Exactly. Like Missouri, Missouri arena. Yeah. Missouri, Missouri arena, South Carolina arena. Like people don't realize it's a fairly new arena, but it's because it's been so long that it doesn't have that pop to it anymore. So, I mean, if you look at it, I think this is the best time ever to be hiring a coach at Ole Miss. You've got SEC network money. You're willing to pay a top 25 head coaching and assistant pool. Um, if the person can figure NIL out, it's a huge advantage for you. Um, and then you're playing in this arena that's, from a niceness standpoint, top 10 in the country. And this right now is the best time to do it. And so, you know, if you're Keith, this is this is one that you've got a huge opportunity in front of you to really get this thing rolling for a sport that – Hey, in some fans' minds, maybe number three. Um, but when you're winning, people love investing in basketball. You can watch it on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Uh, you can watch it, you know, it's heated, it's inside, right? All those different things. The SEC is really good and competitive and has a, as a conference, has a huge nationwide brand in college basketball that it hasn't really had in the past. So, I mean, it's a crucial hire uh, for Keith to make sure he gets it right. You're exactly right, because if it doesn't go well and you get this hire wrong, it's not only the fact that you've kind of gone almost a decade with this building and not a whole lot to show for it. It's also the fact that like it's 
I'm trying to think the right way to word of this and kind of this new landscape within IL and all of that, you're almost like cementing your place as like, okay, I guess it's just never going to happen here. Like, it's just like people will kind of accept that they are just like Ole Miss basketball just kind of is a perennial bottom feeder. It, and I, I I hate to go like, like exaggerate and say, look, you'll, you'll never win again, or you'll never get it back or you'll never get interest back in the fan base. Look, forever's a long time. I don't think it'd be wise mm-hmm. to say that, but it feels important in that sense, because on the flip side, if you do get it correct, doesn't that dra- say that you it, it's a home run hire? Whoever it is comes in and has success, and then even if they leave and they go somewhere else, like you've dramatically improved the perception of your job, have, have you not? Because like at that yeah. point, if that guy goes and wins, and they've gotten players, and they've gone to a couple NCAA tournaments. Now in this world of NIL, you've got the nice new building. The Tad Pad is no longer kind of an excuse, and you've kind of got a proof of concept that this place will invest in basketball. You will have resources at your disposal. It's never going to be like a top five job in the SEC or anything like that, but I just feel like with the way the landscape of college athletics and college basketball is changing, if you get this right, don't you think even if you're hiring his replacement or the next guy after that, it dramatically improves the way your job just proceed among, among, excuse me, amidst coaching circles, if that makes sense. 100%. And I think, you know, um, Ole Miss football obviously is not um, the bottom barrel like Ole Miss basketball has been in the past. But Lane's Lane has increased what this job is in football for when he leaves. You know, it's going to be a sexier job than it was when Matt Luke was there, right? Right. You can point so, to big boy NIL funds and stuff like that. And for yeah, facility and, upgrades. And facility oh, upgrade. Yeah, that's right. Facility upgrades. So it is, um, it, it's, it's crucial, you know, to get it right. What's really interesting, the way that you got to think about this, um, if, if you're Keith, and this is a lot simpler said than done, but you've got Arkansas, Auburn, um, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. Okay. Now, obviously, there's some crazy stuff going on in Bama right now with the, the off the court, and there's some talk that, you know, Cal, hey, is he on the hot seat? Is he going to go to Texas? What's going to happen? Okay. For the sake of this argument, though, those are five programs that are rolling right now. Yeah. And, you know, there's also a chance that those five programs, you know, five out of five of them have the same coach the next one, two, three years. Who knows? If you're Keith, though, what what I'm doing is I'm looking at a whiteboard and I'm looking at the sixth best coach to the 14th best coach. So whoever you think the 16th, sixth is all the way down to, in my opinion, Lamont Paris. Okay. So you're looking at that list and I'm looking at these candidates that I want to call and I'm going to go, how much better is the candidate I have in front of me than six through 14? Right. And if the answer is, Hey, this person wouldn't be six, but they'd be seventh best in the league. Okay, let's go do it. But if it's 10 or 11 and you know you're probably 11, 12, or 13 as a program, it's done. It's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to work. And so that's the what you kind of have to do. Hey, you know, this person compared to Chris Jans. Chris Jans is a pretty damn good coach in my opinion, right? So you got to go know, hey, I may not be winning against these five. Um, I may not be better than these five. But this six through 14, I, we got to get in that six to seven range of best coach in the league if we really want to get this program rolling. Because with the way and the league is now, it's different than when you that, weren't there. That gets you to the yeah. NCAA tournament more times. That's that. right. That's, that, that's right. And that's exactly what I was about to say. If you're, if you're 
consistently seventh in the league who can go to the tournament every other year. Um, and at Ole Miss, that's a huge win. I mean, after five years, you become you know, almost the best coach in program history, which is kind of crazy to think about. Last yeah. thing for you, is there any other name that we didn't talk about today that you could see potentially emerging or being in the mix? Is there anyone off the radar that sticks well, out in your mind that might be a decent fit? You know, uh, there's actually two names that I'm surprised that we haven't heard more. Um, the first one is Chris Mack at Louisville. Um, I, I'm really shocked we haven't heard this name a ton in the coaching search. There was definitely some weird stuff with him and his assistants, with him leaving Ellis, or excuse me, Louisville. He did a really good job at Xavier his whole tenure there, and the first couple years at Louisville did a good job. Um, and so there's some talk, hey, maybe he's not ready to get back in it yet. Maybe he wouldn't take Ole Miss. I, I, I don't know. But I'm surprised that I think that is a call that needs to at least be made. Um, and then the second one that's interesting to me too, there's not a lot of connections, so it doesn't shock me that we haven't heard it, but it's Paul Mills at Oral Roberts. So um, so Paul Mills at Oral Roberts is a long t- ex longtime Scott Drew assistant. And if you look at uh, what Jerome Tang's doing at Kansas State right now, 20 years as a Scott Drew assistant, he's got them like top 15 in the country year one. Um, so I say all that to say Scott Drew's coaching tree is pretty solid. And Paul Mills has an assistant on his staff that recruited KD and Travis Ford to Texas. Okay, so we we talk about that you got to go two for two or three for three. That sounds like one for one to start in my mind. Um, so Paul Mills in 2020, 2021 season, he took them to, um, the sweet 16. And then this year he's 16 and 0 in conference player right now at 20, 25 and four. Um, I think, you know, two out of the past three years in the NCAA tournament, the year before that, they were 19 and 12, 12 and six. That's one that I've been a little surprised that we haven't heard because of the other names that we've heard from a mid-major standpoint. This one's got, Older, more P5 assistant experience, more success as a mid-major head coach. Not a lot of connections. Oral Roberts is not in the Southeast, right? But that's a name that um, I haven't heard a ton, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that I haven't. Fascinating stuff. I can't wait to see kind of how this plays out because this is a very consequential hire in kind of the history of the uh, Ole Miss basketball program. Great stuff as always, dude. Great to catch up with you. We'll have you back on once a, uh, once a hire is made. Um, have you announced, like, you're a, could you be a candidate? Have you announced your candidacy or have you, have you removed your name from consideration with the job? Look, I, I'll, I'll go on record here publicly saying that um, you do have my third assistant spot if, you, if you'd like it, um, if I get the job. But the um, asterisk is we will have a 10-year show cause penalty within a year. So at, at year two, you got to figure out, you know, you're not going to be on staff anymore. None of us are. You're going to have to figure out where if you get back into corporate America or not. But um, we'd, we'd have a lot of fun for one year before we got popped. I was about to say, I'd get players, but if there's still a way to get caught cheating, I'd find a way to do it. So, uh, yeah, you'd probably have to nix me pretty early. Great stuff, my man. We'll uh, we'll catch up here in a couple weeks once this sucker's done. But uh, be well, as always. We'll holler at you, Sim. All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. That'll do it for our show today. Really appreciate Bracken hopping on. We'll have him on, of course, again, once all the dust is settled and this is concluded.
And uh, hopefully we get some sort of resolution here in the next couple of weeks. Actually, I don't know. It's going to be resolved whenever. I don't really care when it happens. But we'll get Rack and Neck on. We've got a grill corner with Greg. I'll probably uh, later on in the week, I'll probably lead off with some baseball thoughts as the Rebels, as I speak, are in between one of two midweek games before they go to Minnesota for the weekend. So I may do some solo thoughts as we lead into a grill corner that uh, Greg and I did last week as well. Just loading up with the pre-recorded podcast this week. was not intentional, but just kind of happened that way. So anyway, thanks for listening as always, and we will holler at you here in a couple of days.